Okay, so on Monday, this was the important part that we were talking about in terms of co-stimulatory signals, and we needed to have at least three signals for an activation of the cell to be able to take place. Signal number one is the activation phase. It's between the peptide MHC and the T-cell receptor or the CD3 complex. Survival phase is signal two, subsequent antigen nonspecific signals by CD28 or CTLA4. And then signal three was proliferation or differentiation. And we sort of showed this model that people are working with, MHC and the T-cell receptor for activation, B7CD28 for survival, and cytokines for differentiation. And we're going to get a signal one, right, in this graphic representation with the T-cell receptor and the CD3 complex, CD28. We talked a little bit about CD28 and CTLA4 signals, where CD28 was a positive signal, CTLA4 was going to be a negative signal. Uh, we talked a little bit, all right. So now, these signals are going to have pretty important consequences overall in the life of either a B cell or a T cell, right? And specifically for a T cell. We're going to either, result of those signals are either going to be a clonal expansion or a new thing that we can talk about called clonal energy, okay? So that antigen MHC complex and the CD28 B7 molecule results in either, right, activation, that that's what we've been talking about, activation and clonal expansion, or we could get this state of non-responsiveness that's called clonal energy, okay? And energy is a state of inactivation. And inact this inactivation is going to be the inability of the T or the B cell to proliferate in response to that antigen or that MHC signal, that signal number one that's going to be able to take place. And the way in which this energic response is going to be determined is by the presence or absence of that co-stimulatory signal, of signal number two. Okay. It's going to be provided by the same cell, the target of the antigen presenting cell, that basically presents the antigen to that T cell itself. So we're going to get clonal expansion, or we're going to get clonal energy. And this was done in a series of different experiments to be able to look to see about the expansion or the stimulation of the T cell itself. So in all these examples, right, we're looking at an antigen presenting cell over here in yellow interacting with a T cell, right? So if this is a, an antigen presenting cell, this is clearly an MHC class II molecule, and these are T helper cells, okay? So that really doesn't enter into it. So we can do a series of experiments to show these energic sort of responses. So before, right, if we take sort of this antigen presenting cell and it, it can be fixed, it doesn't have to be fixed, but we've modified it so it doesn't have a B7 molecule, right? We've removed the B7 molecule. So it, clearly we're going to get signal number one and we're not going to be able to get signal number two. Right? So here, these energic genes are going to take over. We're not going to get clonal expansion. 
we're going to get this energic response. In this example, right, we're going to go through a, a bunch of experiments here. We have a normal antigen-presenting cell. It's got B7 on the cell surface. It's got the peptide. It's doing everything it's supposed to do. But in this experimental model, we've added an antibody, right, an FAB molecule to anti, or the FAB molecule is an anti-CD28 uh, FAB fragment. Clearly, we can't give this, at, well, let me talk about it in a second. So, we're blocking B7 from interacting with CD28. And again, we're going to get anergic genes are going to be activated. And then this T cell is going to go into a non-responsive form. Right? If, we remember, if you remember about uh, cross-linking and clustering, we have to add that FAB fragment. Because if we didn't add the FAB fragment, right? And if we added a regular antibody molecule to CD28 or even an FAB prime 2 fragment to CD28, then we would, that would result in cross-linking and clustering of these receptors, and we would be able to get a signal, right? So that's why we have to use the FAB fragment. The other thing that we can do is, if we take this T cell now, right, and this T cell has now undergone this anergic response, so if we take an energic T cell, and even if we present it now with a normal antigen-presenting cell, so we're getting signal number one, we're not doing anything to the interaction between B7 and CD28, we're allowing B7 and CD28 to come into contact with each other. Because that energic response has been generated, there's no helping that T cell. Right? That T cell can't be rescued from the energic response. If we come over here, right, now the experiments are getting a little bit weirder and wackier, but it sort of gives you the same idea. So here's a fixed antigen-presenting cell, right, here's another antigen-presenting cell. This fixed antigen-presenting cell is basically this one. It has no B7 on the surface. So in this experimental model, right, clearly in the body you're never going to see a, uh, well, you'll never see a fixed antigen-presenting cell, and you're probably not going to see one without B7. But here, right, even though this one doesn't have B7, this cousin has B7, so this, this cell is able to give signal number one via the MHC and the T cell receptor. This is going to contribute the B7 and the CD28 binding, and now we're going to get a normal response. This is going to be a clonal expansion. And again, doing this experiment, now we're going to add an antibody to CD28. We're going to have clustering take place. We're going to get a signal. We're going to get a signal. This is going to result in clonal expansion. So we got those two separate sort of outcomes from doing these experiments. <clears throat> so what does this tell us? This tells us that you need both signals. You need signal number one and you need signal number two. And this is another one of those control points of the immune response that we've been talking about. We're not really sure about these energic signals. What we do know <coughs> is, right, that we know the mechanism of these energic signals. These energic signals are going to stimulate apoptosis in that T cell. So that T cell isn't going to be, a, it's not going to be allowed to live. So we're going to stimulate apoptosis and that T cell is going to die. Because it hasn't been properly stimulated. So this is the control point that we're talking about. So we need those two signals to allow, right, for that maximum stimulation to be able to take place. In this example, we're not dealing with any sort of signals through the T cell receptor or CD4. 
if B7 comes into contact, let's assume this is B7 coming into contact with CD28, nothing's going to happen to the T cell. Right? That signal is basically ignored. If, on the other hand, we're only going to get right, some sort of cell and the MHC signal with the T cell receptor, that's going to result in an energic response because we don't want to be able to damage that tissue cell. So, Recent evidence has suggested that this, these sort of reactions are going to help to maintain self-tolerance in the periphery. Right? We said that when those T cells leave the thymus, they've been taught not to respond, but right, there's some evidence to suggest that those signals still have to take place in that mature T cell or that T cell would be able to, under certain circumstances, attack and destroy normal tissue cells. So what this is going to do is this is going to allow that tolerance to self to remain in place out in the periphery so that these T cells are going to become inactivated so they're not going to be able to respond to self tissues. Okay. So again, in terms of activation, everything we need to be able to talk about, and even on this picture, right, we're talking about a handshake again, but remember, we're going to get those, those complexes going to take place. So B7, CD28 for signal number two, T cell interaction with MHC molecule for signal number one. There's signal number one, there's signal number two. We're going to release that cytokine for differentiation and proliferation for signal number three. The T cell, right, this T cell is a naive T cell. It's going to move into the cell cycle. And now we're going to make memory or effector cells in clonal expansion. Okay, so we're going to get energic or expansion. Okay, so that's where we needed to be on Monday. Now let's move forward with what we need to talk about today on Tuesday. So. Today, right, we've been talking a lot about the CD4 positive T cell and the interaction of CD4 positive T cells and how the CD4 positive, the T helper cells, are involved in the immune response. And we've sort of given short shift to the CD8 cells, but no more. Today we'll talk about cytotoxic T cells. We'll talk about cytotoxic responses themselves. And we're going to introduce a concept, a new concept in the cells, and the new cells are cytotoxic T lymphocytes, or CTLs. Okay. Again, we're talking a little bit here about right, nomenclature. And, uh, and you'll understand why we need to show what CTLs are when we talk about nomenclature in a second. So the CTLs are a subset of T cells that are going to be able to kill target cells expressing specific antigens. So it's basically what we've been talking about as, right, as cytotoxic T cells, as CD8 positive cells. So they're going to be important in three major areas. The first one is intracellular infections like viruses or infections not contained by phagocytosis. So we've talked a little bit about that, right? We're going to, when that cell becomes hijacked by a, when that normal, tar, when that normal tissue cells become hijacked by a virus, virus enters the cell, turns the cell into a viral factory, produce mature virus, that virus is going to burst out from that cell, destroy that cell, and then we're going to have lots of progeny virus. So as that virus is infecting that cell, 
right? And those viral proteins make their way to the proteasome, right? Because we're going to be able to degrade those proteins because those proteins are piling up and piling up. So just sort of like normal homeostasis, we're destroying proteins by bringing them through the proteasome and destroying those proteins as we're bringing those viral proteins through the proteasome. Right, we're turning them into peptides, MHC class 1 molecules on the cell surface to alert the immune system. Right now we'll talk specifically about that, al that alerting of the immune system. So we've talked about viruses. Allograft rejection, this is going to be involved with, right, when we said we are not going to be able to respond to our own MHC molecules, but we're going to respond to foreign MHC molecules, right, that self-MHC restriction and also involved with rejection to tumors because the immune system is capable of recognizing and destroying transformed cells. So this is the three areas where this is going to be important. So it's going to be generated from immune activation of cytotoxic T cells, of the CD8 positive cells. So here is the, right, the new sort of difference to things we've been talking about here. Right? We talked about Right, those lymphoid precursors turning into B cells, turning into T cells, this is going to get really complicated, right? We talked about the three different type of B cells, B1 B cells, follicular B cells. We talked about, right, T helper cells, cytotoxic T cells. Those T helper cells can be Th1, Th2, Th17, right, other sort of subsets. Now. Let's concentrate on the cytotoxic T cell. In this form, this cytotoxic T cell has one more differentiation that can take place. So this cytotoxic T cell, this CD8 positive T cell, is going to undergo a differentiation to become a cytotoxic T lymphocyte, a CTL cell. We need a way to be able to differentiate this regular old CDA-positive cytotoxic T cell minding its own business, right, in the periphery, in the lymph node, in the spleen, wherever it is, from this fully activated cytotoxic T cell, which we're now going to be able to, well, not be able, but now is what we're calling, right, a cytotoxic T lymphocyte. It's just a naming nomenclature, okay? We've been talking a lot about this cell, right? General, now let's talk about it specifically. So, it's going to be the CTL cells are going to be generated from this cytotoxic T cell. Right? So it takes a couple of seconds to sort of, right, talk, we're talking about the same cell, only it's going to become a little more differentiated. It's got a T cell receptor exactly the same, right, as those CD4, as those CD4 positive helper T cells. Everything we've talked about before in terms of rearranging of the T cell receptor, about these cells entering the thymus, about these cells being taught to not to respond to our MHC molecules, right? Everything we've talked about so far exactly stays on track, right? Everything about the T cell receptor and the T helper cell is the same exact sort of mechanism and nomenclature and everything we've been talking about for these cytotoxic T cells and eventually these cytotoxic T lymphocytes. Right? In that, they're going to undergo maturation and selection and everything in the thymus is exactly like we've been talking about. So, 
What do we know about cytotoxic T lymphocytes? Well, in terms of the development and the differentiation and the function, right, they're not fully differentiated when they leave the thymus. Even though they do express functional alpha-beta T cell receptors, right, everything we've talked about so far as, right, as these naive, well, as, right, not naive, but as these double positive thymocytes enter the, the thymus, at the end of that education, there's going to be the switch that's going to turn those cells into either CD4 positive cells or CD8 positive cells. Right? So everything is going to be able to take place, except that they're not fully differentiated when they leave the thymus. They cannot lyse a target cell as of yet. Even though they're going to come into contact with that target cell, and again, right, let's remember what we're talking about. So here's our regular target cell. It's sort of in, it's infected. Right? Let's talk about a virus. It's infected with these, with these viral proteins. It's infected with a virus. This virus is manipulating the protein, uh, the protein sort of construction of its own progeny on the surface of this MHC class one molecule. We're going to put this viral peptide. This T cell receptor is going to be able to recognize that again right, with the CD8 molecule as well. And this cytotoxic T cell, that's the point we're at right now. It can't kill it. Even though it know, well it doesn't, I'm not giving it human-like characters, right? Even though it has come into contact with the MAC class 1 molecule, it recognizes the peptide, it still can't kill it yet. This is the differentiation that's going to be able to take place. So we're still right here. It's in the periphery. It's come into contact with the target cell that is infected with a virus. And now it's going to go down the differentiation pathway to turn into a killer cell. It's going to take about seven to 10 days for this to take place, right? Eh, you want to think about the same sort of time frame as a B cell interacting with a pathogen for the first time and that B cell recognizing with its immunoglobulin receptor, right, and responding and producing antibody molecules. When we had that chart with memory and, and specificity, we said it was about seven to ten days for the first time that that B cell is going to be able to differentiate in that primary response. Same thing is going to be able to take place here. Right? These T cells are going to develop after about a week or so. The CTL themselves are going to develop or differentiate from that CTL precursor. And that CTL precursor is basically this naive cytotoxic T cell. It's all about nomenclature, right? We have to be able to track and different, and, and I don't want to say differentiate because we've been talking about the T cell differentiation. We need to be able to track and identify, right, the cells themselves. So this cell, even though it's the same, you know, it's, got, it's the same cell, it's got the same sort of information encoded in its DNA, but, right, it's basically a different cell because it's undergoing that differentiation. So this is all about, right, trying to label this cell versus this cell, versus this cell, versus this cell. Actually, it's the, the, the stage of differentiation of these cells. Right? That's what this all turns down to. So, we have these CTL precursors now. 
So now we're calling this a CTL precursor because this is the, the eventual right, uh, end, uh, end point of this cell undergoing differentiation. And as it's going through these steps, these are all CTL precursors, which start out as that naive cytotoxic T cell. Okay. So these CTL precursors, these, these, or this differentiation of this cytotoxic T cell, it doesn't require any sort of special microenvironment for differentiation to take place. It can develop within the infected or the foreign tissue. It can develop in the lymph node. Right? It doesn't have to be any special environment. It's not like, you know, sort of differentiation inside the thymus. It's all going to happen out in the periphery after, right, that naive cytotoxic T cell comes into contact with this virally infected cell that it's capable of recognizing, right, with its T cell receptor. So as it turns out, right, that differentiation of those precursors to functional CTLs requires at least three separate signals, right? We talked about those signals when we talked about the T helper cell differentiating. So the same sort of co-stimulatory signal is going to take place as we're talking about things that are going to happen here. So again, signal number one, recognition by the T cell receptor of that peptide with the MHC and the and it's, and it's right sort of carrier peptide on the surface of that target cell. So signal number one is exactly the same, right? Because it's going to have to take place through the T cell. And now we're getting into a little bit of a cloudy area, right? The whole time we've been saying what works for lymphocytes works for lymphocytes. Right? What works for a B cell works for a T cell. What works for a T helper cell works for a cytotoxic T cell. And signal number two is the interaction of we have no idea with we have no idea. Oh, well, not that we don't have any idea. We kind of have an idea. But it's the, it's the interaction of a whole bunch of things that we see that could be happening with a whole bunch of other things that we see that could be happening. If the model of the co-stimulatory signal is going to remain in effect for lymphocytes, right, then it has to happen for CTLs or right, for the cytotoxic T cells as well. If it's happening for T helper cells, it's got to happen with cytotoxic T cells. And there are a bunch of different models that we can see for this interaction to be able to take place. Right? We're not really sure about signal number two. The signal may come from B7 on an antigen presenting cell. Right? some sort of dendritic cell in the area, and CD8 on the surface of that cytotoxic T cell, right? Maybe that dendritic cell has already engulfed, right? And as a, and as a, and as a, as a professional antigen presenting cell, it's going to be able to present right, that peptide in the MHC class one molecule. Remember, we talked about cross-presentation before. Right, about the ability of an antigen presenting cell to present both in a MHC class II molecule and an MHC class I molecule. So that's where this could take place. The signal may come from CD40 and a dendritic cell with CD40 ligand 
on the surface of the T cell, right? There are some experiments to suggest that that may be happening, right? Remember, those dendritic cells, because they are professional antigen-presenting cells, express high levels of MAC class 1, 2, and B7. Or a T helper cell may license or give permission to the antigen-presenting cell first to be able to give permission to that cytotoxic T cell. So, right, we got a whole bunch of different things that are going to be able to take place, right? So, here is what we've been talking about, an antigen-presenting cell and a T helper cell. This T helper cell is, right, getting signal number one. They're not showing signal number two, but here's signal number three with interleukin-2 being released. The only reason that this is in the picture of interleukin-2 being released is so that interleukin-2 can deliver signal number three. Signal number one is going to be that, MA, that, is that cytotoxic T cell interacting with right, that MHC molecule and being able to either one, recognize that viral peptide, or two, recognize the change in the MHC molecule right here, and then that cytotoxic CTL precursor now is going to go along and become activated. And then signal number two, in this model you really can't see it very much, signal number two, right, what we just talked about, right, maybe this T helper cell somehow is going to tell the dendritic cell or interact with the dendritic cell to give a signal to that precursor, maybe, right, now that this dendritic cell has been licensed or given permission to send a signal to this cytotoxic precursor, right? This interaction over here is going to be able to take place. Maybe that's signal number two, or maybe this dendritic cell is going to be able to give signal number two directly to that cytotoxic cell precursor. We're really not too sure about all these signals that are taking place. But again, signal number three, we're absolutely sure, right? Interleukin-2 with the interleukin-2 receptor on the CTL precursor. So signal one, we got a good idea about. Signal three, we got a good idea about. Signal two, we got a, a bunch of conflicting experimental results. And maybe all of these things are going to be the mechanism for signal number two to take place, right? Maybe it takes a lot more permission. Maybe it's a lot more involved to allow this cytotoxic T cell to, oh no, sorry, this, this, cyto, yes, this cytotoxic T cell to turn into this CTL, this cytotoxic T lymphocyte, right, it gets even confusing for me, and this cytotoxic T lymphocyte to now destroy that target cell. Right? This goes against everything that the immune system stands for, right? Do no harm to self. But here, <clears throat> right, this is a big step. Even though, right, in the, in the big picture, right, we know this is infected with a virus and we know why this is taking place, but this is such a powerful change for this immune cell to have lived its whole life, right, this is, uh, you know, this metaphorically lived its whole life, to live its whole life to ignore a self-tissue or a self-cell now it has to kill that self-cell. 
Right? So maybe it is going to be a little bit more complicated than with a T helper cell, right? The T helper cell becomes activated, it releases cytokines, interacts with B cells. You know, that's pretty straightforward. It's continuing with its role as a stimulator of the immune system to be able to destroy an invader. But here, right, it's a little bit of a different story here, right? Because now that cytotoxic T cell has to go back and destroy that target cell. All right. So, what do we know about CTLs? Well, what we know about those CTLs is they're there to destroy and kill target cells. So, that differentiation from that precursor, right, from that cytotoxic T cell, right, going down that pathway involves the acquisition of the machinery to perform cell lysis. As it is in this form, it's not prepared to kill yet. It hasn't been armed yet. It hasn't been turned on. It hasn't been stimulated to be able to right, deliver the death blow to that target cell. Because it just doesn't have the stuff it needs yet. Right? This again, it's another sort of a control point for the immune system. If every single CD8 positive cytotoxic T cell was capable of destroying right, an invader or a target cell to begin with, that'd be a very powerful cell out there. Right? We don't want to have that powerful of a cell out there in case right, it malfunctions. And I'm lying to you right now. But let's keep talking about CTL cells. All right, so the CTL cells need to differentiate. Right? They're going to develop specific membrane granules. Right? So the cell is going to become more granular. And inside those granulars will be the proteins that it needs to be able to destroy the target cell. One of the proteins is going to be perforin. Remember when we talked about complement and I said that C9 molecule? Put this away someplace in the back of your brain because we're going to be talking about this C9 molecule again. I said perforin has a cousin. I mean C9 has a cousin. It's called perforin. It's in the granules of, of cytotoxic T cells. Right? So perforin, like C9, is that membrane pore-forming protein. We're going to get a bunch of serine proteases and a whole bunch of other different proteases that are going to be contained in those granules, right? And when we are in the process of destroying that cell, these granules are going to release right, their contents and they're going to participate in the destruction of that target cell. CTLs transcribe and secrete specific cytokines as well. Things like interferon gamma, right? Interferon gamma will be released so that other, right? We're going to stimulate macrophages in the area. We're going to stimulate dendritic cells to become phagocytic. Tumor necrosis factor. Tumor necrosis factor is a cytokine that is able to destroy tumor cells as its name, right? As its name, tumor necrosis, to be able to destroy tumor cells. And then another one that's called lymphotoxin. And lymphotoxin is a cytokine that's very similar to TNF, only lymphotoxin is only released by lymphocytes. Remember we talked about cytokines? We said we had monokines and lymphokines and all sorts of things. Well, lymphotoxin is a lymphokine. 
Very similar to TNF, TNF is released by macrophages, so TNF is a monokine, but lymphotoxin is a lymphokine. All right, so a bunch of different things that are going to be able to take place. The first one is that those CTL cells right, are antigen-specific. Only target cells with the same class 1 MHC-associated antigen that triggered the differentiation to start with is going to be destroyed. Because, right, this T cell is going to interact here. It's going to be able to recognize this viral peptide. It's going to now, right, a couple of days are going to go by. It's going to turn into a CTL. Right, it's going to go work out in the gym. It's going to get all pumped up. So now when it comes back to kick the butt of this target cell, it's able to do that. But, again, the recognition of that T cell receptor and that specific peptide, that was the peptide that stimulated this T cell, this CTL cell is now only going to be able to kill that target cell. Now, there can be... Right? There can be all sorts of MHC molecules on the surface expressing all sorts of different, well, I'm going to make that a little, right? all sorts of different, right? we talked about that, different antigens on the surface. So other CT, other right? cytotoxic T cells can be here and they can start participating in destruction of this target cell, but this one is only going to be able to interact with this, and this cell only with this one, and this cell only with this one. Now, there can be other target cells in the area, right, that perhaps are displaying the same peptide, and then this CTL can also kill this target cell, but it's absolutely antigen-specific. CTL killing requires cell contact. It's got to come into contact with each other, so we're going to get those same conjugates that are forming. We had those pictures before of T-cell, B-cell conjugates forming, and now we're going to get those same sort of right large areas on the cell membrane that are going to come into contact with each other between those CTL cells and the target cell. The CTLs are not injured. Right? There were no CTLs injured during the filming of this movie. They're not injured during lysis of the target cell, so they're going to be able to come in, interact with the target cell, kill the target cell, and be on their merry way. And if there are other, cell, if there are other cells out there, right, they don't, they're not necessarily target cells, if there are other cells out there that this CTL can now target, because its T cell receptor is going to be able to recognize that peptide, it can go on and kill another and another and another. It's going to come in, it's going to assassinate that cell, and that's a pretty good, right? It's going to come in, it's going to assassinate that cell, go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. And it's going to leave alone any cell that is displaying a peptide that it doesn't recognize, and by that, right, it could be the cell that's right next to it, Right, this is now, you can call this a P, a potential target cell, but if this has an MHC on the surface and it's displaying that self-peptide or that empty peptide, that cytotoxic T cell is going to leave that one alone. It's not going to kill every single cell that's like this. It's only going to kill every single cell that is virally infected. It's going to kill it and it's going to move on. CTL responses increase after a second exposure to antigen. So the same sort of memory 
that is taking place when we talked about B-cell memory. We did have that chart at the bottom of that picture that showed some CTL memory responses. So I just want to, I just want to, you know, let, right, reinforce the fact that T cytotoxic T cells can form into memory cells as well in case, right? we are infected with that same virus again, then this cytotoxic T cell, instead of taking right, a couple of days to differentiate that week, it's going to be able to come back and remember the encounter so within three to five days we're going to have that response taking place. Okay. So we're really good at steps, right? We're really good at steps. And again, Here's our next step, right? We're taking these targets that we know are expressing viral proteins. We're going to add our cytotoxic T cell. We're starting our stopwatch. But now our stopwatch has to go for five to seven days or so. And we can see the changes in those CTL precursors to a fully functional CTL cell. And once we can start to see that T cell being changed and turning into a cytotoxic T cell, Right, we can start our stopwatch again. So we're going to get recognition of antigen and conjugate formation. Right, this is now after this cytotoxic T cell right, interacts, releases, differentiates, and now comes back fully functional to kill that target cell. Right, we're going to get that same MHC class 1 with the peptide being presented. We're going to get that same T cell receptor right, interacting. CD8 is going to be able to be there, LFA1, those adhesion molecules, right? So we're going to make these large contact areas again because that's the cell we want to kill, right? We've got to be able to deliver our, our death knell to this cell without right, harming any of the other target cells or any of the other non-infected cells in the area, right? So we're going to come into very intimate contact with that cell, with that target cell. We're going to get activation of the CTL, right? Cross-linking of the T cell receptor, intracellular signals, just like those intracellular signals with lymphocyte activation we talked about before, right? That are taking place inside that, that cytotoxic T cell. So, right? interaction, the target cell and the, 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 and the CTL comes up, makes intimate contact, the same way we talked about it before, and then it's going to be on its way. So you can see that formation that's being able to take place. Along that sort of boundary, well, let's not talk about this one quite yet. So, right, recognition, activation, and now we get deli delivery of this lethal hit by the activated CTL. Right? It's like we're in the mafia, we're doing a hit. We're going to get secretion of those cytoplasmic granules because we're in, in close intimate contact. And before, like the, the immunological synapse, we're going to deliver all of those granules via microtubules, right, or any of those other intracellular transport mechanisms right to the area where that conjugate is forming. And we're going to be able to have a targeted release of those granules right, right onto that target cell. So secretion of those cytoplasmic granules take place. 
We're going to get release of activating enzymes into the target cell, right, to stimulate apoptosis. One of the mechanisms, one of the major mechanisms is going to be the stimulation of apoptosis of that target cell, right? Once it delivers this hit, once it, right, delivers this death null, it releases and moves on to a next one. So, if we're talking about what's taking place at the granular side, right, remember, in this sort of picture here, this is, right, the target cell in the CTL, so this is this long expanse of area in between the two cells. So again, right, we're not showing any of the, C any of the CTL MHC molecules here. We are going to assume, right, that they're someplace else. So, the granules come in, the granules make their way to the surface, and right along the area, right, to specifically kill this target cell, right, where here was handshaking again, but now we're back to intimate contact, right? so the granule components are released, we're coming inside, there's perforin, right, going to punch a hole in the membrane of that target cell, here are the proteases and other activating enzymes. These are granzymes that are going to be able to participate in this cascade release to leading to apoptosis. The other thing that a lot of these cells are going to be able to carry is what's called FAS ligand, and it's going to interact with FAS on the cell surface. FAS is basically the switch for apoptosis. FAS sits on the surface of most every cell in the body, and when it is engaged by FAS ligand, and most of the FAS ligand are going to be on right, these cytotoxic T cells and other types of cells, when this interaction takes place, it's also going to be able to participate in that programmed cell death. So when FAS, li when FAS ligand activates FAS, it's going to result in apoptosis. And that's the destruction of this target cell now. We have now destroyed this cell. We've now prevented that cell from right, multiplying if it's a tumor cell and forming some sort of a, of a cancer. Or if this was a virally infected cell, we're going to stop this cell from right, its ultimate sort of hijacking, turning into a viral factory. We're going to kill it before that can happen. We're going to kill it usually by apoptosis. And so all these things are going to be able to take place. So here, right, you can see right, where perforin was. Now, if you go back in your notes, and we, right, we basically, had, if you remember, we basically had this same picture when we were looking at C9. Right? We were looking at the poly-C9, but if you go back in your notes and you look, you'll see that it's not the same exact picture, but you get the same idea, right? We're just filling this cell full of holes that are going to result in unregulated, right, transport of cytoplasmic uh, contents out into the periphery and lysis of this cell is going to be able to take place, right? Here, again, if we're looking at perforin itself, we have the, we have the structure of perforin. So perforin is released basically as poly-C9 to start with. Remember we said that C9 binds and then it polymerizes by poly-C9 by forcing itself onto the membrane. Perforin itself is basically poly-C9 complete already. It's going to be released 
and it's going to be able to participate in the destruction of, right, of that target cell. If we look at interaction between the cytotoxic T cell and the target cell in this scanning electron micrograph, right, you can see right, we're going to get all these holes on the surface. We're punching holes on the surface. Contents of that cell is starting to leak out. This T cell delivers the lethal hit beyond its way, and it just allows this cell to die in peace. Right, it's going out to look for more, vi not more victims, right, well, more victims. It's going out to look for more cells that it needs to be able to destroy because right, after a couple of rounds of right, these target cells being virally infected and releasing viruses, right, we got lots of cells right, that are virally infected. So there's a lot of work for those CTLs to do out there in the periphery to go back out and release and destroy those cells themselves. So, differentiation, right, of this T cell is going to eventually result in the destruction of this target cell. Okay. There's another cell out there that we've talked about, and I said we would come back to, and now it's time to start talking about NK cells, natural killer cells. If you remember in the very beginning, we called them large granular lymphocytes. We called them null cells because they, they looked histologically like a T cell or a B cell. They looked histologically like any other type of a lymphocyte, except they were a little bit bigger and they had some granules to begin with. Right? So NK cells or LGLs make up 5 to 10% of recirculating lymphocyte populations. And NK cells are, be are basically this heterogeneous population of lymphocyte-like cells that can kill target cells in the absence of prior sensitization. So all that stuff we're talking about, oh, it's so important. We don't want to be able to kill normal cells, right? We have to, it's very regimented, right? These cytotoxic T cells, they need to go through this Right through this multi-step sort of progress process, we have to make sure that those dendritic cells are taken care, right, to be able to deliver the message, blah, 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 blah. Now we have NK cells. NK cells can go out there and kill anything they want. Okay. But it's a very important that we have <clears throat> NK cells out there, right? It's very important that we have the ability to do this because We've talked about this before. We've talked about the time lapse. Right. From here to here right, is about seven days. We've said this before. We're not, we haven't decided, okay, the viruses, we're tired. You go out there, infect as many cells as you want. We'll come back in a week and kick your ass. Right. We just do what you got to do. We'll come back. We'll come back later. We're not going to do that. Right? We need something that's going to be able to respond instantly to this target cell. Right? We're not going to wait seven. Even if this is a memory cytotoxic T cell, and even if we're shaving a couple of days off, and it's going to be three to five days. Three days is too long. One day. One hour is too long to wait. We're not going to wait 
as long as we have to, to be able to destroy that target cell. And this is where the NK cells come in, right? NK cells are on the first line of defense in terms of cells against viral infections. We have cytokines that are involved, interferon alpha and interferon beta. They are the first line of defense on the secreted side against viral infections. Interferon alpha, interferon beta, very related to each other. They're, in terms of the protein structure, they're at least 60 or 70 percent related to each other. Their cousin, interferon gamma, that we've been talking about, is barely related. It barely makes it into the family. Okay? For a protein to be able to say that it's related to another protein, it's got to be about 26 percent similar in its amino acid right, sort of uh, similarities. Interferon gamma is 25% similar to interferon alpha and interferon beta. So it's a distant relative, but it's still in the interferon family. So we've been talking a lot about interferon gamma, right? Interferon alpha and interferon beta are the secreted molecules, right? Interferons, they got their names because they interfere with viruses. That's what we knew about interferons to start with. So, if we're looking at some sort of days after viral infection over here, we're looking at some sort of response, it doesn't matter, we're going to have a whole bunch of responses over here. Right, going from zero up here to infinity. We're looking here at virus titer, right? This is how much virus is in the bloodstream at any one point in time. We start out with nothing, right? We get sneezed on on the T. Right? We get a lot of viruses taking place, we get maximum amount of virus, we fight back the invader, and we're back to right, bringing the tissue next time we're sitting on the T. Right? We're bringing it back to sort of normal back here. Here we talked about those CTLs, right? Virus comes in, about six or seven days later, those CTLs are out there, right? CTLs are the big guns that are taking place out there. Before that, almost instantly, <clears throat> right? Cells are going to start to release interferon alpha and interferon beta. And NK cells are also out there on the front line. So, right, within hours, right, this is the, well, this is over here within hours, right? Within hours of virus particles appearing, interferon alpha and beta are being released, and NK cells are coming online, right? So, interferon is there. Interferon is going to stimulate interferon receptors on non-infected non tissue in the area. So when this cell becomes infected with a virus, that cell is able to recognize that it is virally infected. It's going to release more interferon alpha and beta. It's going to stimulate interferon receptors on the surface. Right? Once interferon binds to those receptors, interferon is basically going to shut down everything that has to do with protein synthesis inside that cell. Just turns it right off. Right? This target cell that's next door, yeah, it's probably got enough proteins to last a while, right? but everything about protein synthesis is turned off just in case that target cell has now been infected with that virus. Right? So it's going to stimulate the resistance of neighboring cells this virally infected cell is going to send out a signal to its, <clears throat> right, to its neighbors that says, 
Uh, I'm infected with a virus, right? Close the doors. Right? You don't want to let any viruses in. You don't want any sort of protein synthesis to be able to take place. It inhibits genes that are involved with, right, with viral replication. It basically turns that cell into a non, into a hostile environment for viruses. <clears throat> All right. We will continue with this next Monday. Have a nice weekend. Have a nice long weekend. Bye-bye.